Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, and the message entitled, The Gift of Salvation. Paul the Apostle has given the Ephesians a very vivid picture of the past life of darkness, their position under the first Adam in verse 1 through 3 of this chapter. Dark, dark position. Most people don't understand how dark it is because they believe in the goodness of man and a civil society, and they maybe have been privileged to live in such a society for a set time. But if you look deep enough and hard enough, it's, it's, it's not that pretty. Uh, man has a very uh, crazy history. Uh, there he said they were dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of the world, influenced by Satan, uh, sons of disobedience, mastered by a sinful nature, children of wrath by nature, and under God's wrath. That was the description of you and I before we became Christians, and it still is for those who do not know Jesus. But equally, don't miss this, uh, Paul provides another vivid picture of their present position now being saved in the last Adam in verse 4 through 7. Here's the words, the magical words. Ready? But God. That's it. That made all the difference in my life. But God. He made us alive as well as them together with Christ, raised us up together and seated us with Christ Jesus in the heavenlies um, on display before the angels throughout all eternity as recipients of his grace and kindness. And so now Paul, in verse 8 and 9, gives the reason why God will display his church in the ages to come. He alone saves sinners. And it's characterized by three things here in verse 8 and 9. Let me read our text here. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of work, lest any man should boast. And so the three things that our text is characterized by here is first the proclamation regarding salvation, the first part of eight. Second, you have the explanation regarding salvation, the rest of verse eight. And then you have the exclusion regarding salvation in verse nine. And so we begin with the proclamation regarding salvation. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the manner by which God saves every sinner. Grace. That's it. By grace you have been saved. The word for introduces the reason God will display the exceeding riches of his grace in the future ages to come because it's the next verse after what's preceded it. The context is important. It's due to the fact that God is the initiator when we were dead in trespasses and sins. God always initiates, we respond. Due to the fact that God is the transactor, making us alive together with Christ, sitting us in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus also. And due to the fact that God is the displayer in the ages to come. And he says this from verse 4 down to 7. And so notice grace, as we have noted, is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. The origin and source provided for salvation. The article appears before grace here. Literally, the Greek reads, by the grace, a very specific one. Okay? Paul has declared this grace you have been saved as a parenthetical commentary. He's made the thing now. He just emphasized parenthetically here. So Paul again mentioned this grace that God will reveal the exceeding riches of his the grace in the kindness towards us in Christ in verse 7. So he's dealing with a very specific aspect of the doctrine of grace. The grace, and it's, we'll see, for salvation. Paul now is amplifying the nature of the grace in salvation. In other words, God did not save us because he fell indebted to us. 
God did not save us because we deserve it. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the means by which God saved every sinner. Through faith. Faith is not just believing in God. Or in the existence of some cosmic force that is in control of the universe. Um, lately, as this last month, there have been prayers in, offered in Alaska and in other places, uh, praying to the devil, and they allow them to pray, another one to Mother Earth. Who's Mother Earth? Unreal. What an insult. The word faith here means conviction of the truth of something. The context will tell you what it is. Belief of the trust in the gospel revealed is what it's here. The good news, the only good news. Faith is produced by the Holy Spirit in a person, not their own. When they, bear, when they hear the word of God regarding their need of salvation. So every person that hears the word of God, the Holy Spirit is there to illuminate and bring conviction. You do not get saved because you're real smart. God does not expect you to understand the word of God without being born again. God will initiate and allow the gospel to be proclaimed, and it comes by hearing the word of God, faith, Romans 10, 17. But he will not make that decision for you. He'll illuminate, he'll convict, and then you have to make the decision. Because God is a perfect gentleman. He doesn't force you to go to heaven. You have all the right to go to hell. But you don't have to go there. But you choose where you go. Now, faith is the subjective medium or instrument for the process of salvation then. Faith is a necessary condition that must be met without exception. The gospel has never changed throughout the generation for 2,000 years. God didn't say, you know, the guys over there in India or in Mexico, you know, they just have it a little harder like Americans, so I'll just water down the gospel for them. Same gospel. Same condition. For saving faith to be biblical, it must be based on the revelation of God's word, objective truth, and responded to in belief and faith. Many people, and you, you've done it yourself before you were a Christian, so did I, and you hear it all the time. People say, well, I have faith. What, what, what is your faith based on? If your faith is not based on God's revelation, what God says in context. It's not biblical faith. It's foolishness. Because it's contradicting God's word. Or adding to it or taking away. Psalm 14 says, the fool has said, no God. Now both words start with the same letter, but it makes a difference if you're a person of faith or a fool. Okay? This is the condition. Now faith in God's word means a total dependency and trust on the work of Christ, the object and person of our faith. We're not believing in a force. Like Darth Vader, the force be with you. It's a person. That Jesus is God and became man through the incarnation. John 1, 1 and 1, 14. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word. And the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus told that to the woman of Samaria in John 14, 42. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, and that he justified us by that sacrifice and atoning work on the cross. John 1, 29, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and then Romans 5, 1 and 2. All him. And that there is forgiveness of sins in no other way, no other name, under heaven or earth, whereby men must be saved, nor is there any other mediator between God and man and man, Christ Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father by me. Do you realize in that one statement he destroyed every religion, every philosophy, every proposition or proclamation that there's a way to heaven apart from him? Now, you got one of two choices. Either Jesus told the absolute truth or he's the biggest liar that's ever existed. There's no other option. If it's not true, then he can't be a prophet, can't be a good man, can't be the best teacher. He has to be the biggest deceiver. The only name, Acts 4.12, Jesus, Yahweh Shua, Yahweh's salvation. One meteor between God and man, the one in between God and man, the intercessor, 1 Timothy 2.5. Now, to me, it's very clear, the gospel. One way, one name, one mediator. But God doesn't expect you to understand that if you're not born again. But he will illuminate your need of salvation, and then once you're born again, then you'll understand and believe the Bible. You can't put the car before the horse. And that he alone can impart eternal life. In Colossians 2.12, it says, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the work of God that raised him from the dead. And so notice the Apostle Paul declared that this grace through faith places both Jew as well as Gentile on equal positions before God on the same level. The tension and animosity and hatred of the Jew and Gentile is often missed in the church today. We get a little glimpse where they pit black against white so much today, or rich against poor. And really, that comes natural through our sinfulness, but, but it's magnified through those people who are in authority and power to try to destroy and put people at odds. They put fuel on the fire. I mean, we do a bad enough job ourselves. We don't need help, but they do. They step in because you divide and conquer, right? Simple principle. Now, Paul gave the past lost life of the Gentiles and Jews in chapter 2 here, verse 1 through 3. The Gentiles were dead in trespasses, and just like we were, verse 1. In verse 2, they were walking according to the course of the world, the prince and the power of the air that's now worshiping the children of disobedience. All of us were there. They were born again. And the Jews also conducted themselves in the lust of the flesh. He brings the Jew in. Giving in to the desires of the body and the mind, being children aroused by nature, just like the Gentiles in verse 3. So everybody's guilty before God, Jew and Gentile. Now, God did choose the Jews to give his word and bring the Messiah through, but not because they were better. By the way, Abraham was not a Gentile. I mean, he was a Gentile, he wasn't a Jew. Jewish means your religion, Israeli is your nationality. Abraham comes from Babylon, or the Chaldees. <laughs> and God said, come out of your people, your nation, your family, to a land that I'm going to give you. And it was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed God. He did nothing for it. Okay? And he chose him to give the word of God, the progressive revelation, to pass it on to the whole human race, that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed, Genesis 12, 3. But it wasn't because he was better. God was going to raise a nation. Pass the word of God down. Bless the whole world. And so Paul gave the present saved life of the Gentiles and Jews. Even in verse 4, but God, rich in mercy, saved them both. The same grace. But God, that was the miracle. God initiated the gospel. But God made them both alive together with Christ by grace in verse 5. And, but God raised them both alive to sit together with Christ in the heavenlies. Verse 6, but God will display both revealing the riches of his grace in the ages to come in verse 7. If, if, if you could say we are God's trophy <laughs> that's going to display through all the ages based on what he has done. God made them both, Jew and Gentile, one, broke down the middle wall, partitional, say in verse 14 of chapter 2. 
The middle wall partition refers to the temple. There was the uh, Gentile quarter, the Jewish quarter, and the women's quarter in the temple. And on the Gentile quarter, anybody past this line dies. There was all a partition. Paul says, that's been broken down. No more animosity. The veil on the temple was rent from the top to the bottom when Jesus says it is finished on the cross. Now everybody has access to the true holy of holies in heaven, not the one on earth. Very, very important. And so notice this specific grace, the grace, assured both Gentiles and Jews they were saved. The perfect tense in the, uh, in the passive here, the completed past action with present results, and the present time giving durative force to the finished result. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. So you're saved, regenerated. That's justification. Then you're sanctified. Your life in Christ Jesus, the Word and Holy Spirit, and you're glorified at death. You're present before the Lord, and your body be raised up in the first resurrection at the rapture. Now notice they were to know the power of God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very same power that had raised them from their spiritual state of death in chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. It's all by the same power. By the same power that raised Jesus, that's what happened to them and you and myself. Our salvation is described in a threefold process in the New Testament. You have been saved, past tense, chapter 2, verse 8 of Ephesians. We are being saved, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, and we shall be saved, Hebrews 9, 28. Have been saved, are being saved, and shall be saved. Threefold process. John Newton, the physicist of the 17th century, said this quote, When I get to heaven, I shall see three wonders there. The first wonder will be to see many people there whom I did not expect to see. The second wonder will be to miss many people whom I did expect to see. And the third and greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there. Grace. You might be um, listening and think that you are not that bad. So you don't need grace to be saved, you say. But the Bible says the wage of sin is death, Romans 6.33. See, death is the result of sin. Your ultimate end without Christ demonstrates that you're a sinner. You have sin nature. If you didn't, you wouldn't die. It's the result of it. Let me ask you some questions. Have you ever um, lied? Have you stolen? Have you ever committed fornication or blessed in your heart? Have you ever deceived or used somebody for your own benefit? All of these would have to say yes. It might be one that you say no to, but for the most, it's yes. We have not only committed some of these that I've mentioned, but probably a lot many others and much more. The wage of sin is death. If you reject the gospel, what are you going to do <clears throat> in the day of judgment? How is it that you will stand before God? To outweigh your bad with your good? you'll lose, hands down. Because God will judge not only the deed, but the motive behind it. You only see my actions. You don't know my heart. He knows both. That's scary. The scriptures say there is none righteous to merit salvation from God. Listen to Romans um, 3, 10 through 12. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. 
That's an absolute statement of truth, objectively, because all fall short of the glory of God. In fact, in Romans, and if you look at Romans, where he begins his thesis there in um, chapter 1, verse uh, um, 16 and 17, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the power of God unto salvation of the Jew first and the Gentile, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed, the just shall live by faith, according to Habakkuk 2, 4. And then he goes on to give the catalog of, of the human race. And he gives a threefold giving up. Unclean thoughts, vile effects, reprobate mind. The women changing the use, natural for the man, for women, for women, men for men, and receiving their just penalty due to them. And then in chapter 2, he talks to the good moral pagan. They're saying, oh, those guys are horrible. He said, yeah, but you get off on what they're doing, though you're not doing it. So you're busted. Then he gets chapter 3 and 4, and he says, now let's look at it. Did Abraham, was he, was he saved? And he was given this promise because he worked for it, or was it faith? Faith. He's busted. Everybody stands saved by the same way. Believing and trusting God completely. You might argue, how can God require salvation to be only by faith in Jesus Christ? You might ask, you mean to tell me that all religions are wrong? Yes. You mean to tell me that there is no other mediator like Mary, canonized saints, virgins, Peter, the Pope, etc.? Yes. None other. You mean to tell me that if I do not believe everything the Bible says about Jesus, I'm against him? Yes. You mean to tell me that no matter what sins I have committed, Jesus will forgive me for them all and make me a new creature if I repent? Yes. That's what the Bible says. Once again, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to father by me. John 14, 6. If I would say that and you wouldn't walk out, then you should be locked up. That's a crazy statement. Unless you're God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Right now the gospel is being preached. I'm explaining it to you. God is here by the Holy Spirit to illuminate you, to show you your condition of lostness, and to bring conviction on your life and hope that you might ask him to forgive you, to repent. But he won't repent for you. He won't make that choice for you because he allows you to exercise your own free will, your accountability. He would not dare force you to go to heaven. Not at all. Paul said it pleased God to save men by the foolishness of preaching. Not the preaching of foolishness. By the foolishness of preaching. Oh, look at this guy. He gets out there. He pontificates about this and that and this and that. And, 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 and people are going to get saved and forgiven and then not a new creature. It sounds foolish, doesn't it? But it's not the preaching of foolishness. God has chosen to use mankind to just declare this incredible gospel throughout the ages. And men and women have been saved from A to Z. From every level of society. Grace. You find that scripture about pleasing, God pleasing in 1 Corinthians 1.21. And so the proclamation regarding salvation is by the grace of God. That's it. And notice secondly comes the explanation regarding salvation. The rest of eight. The Apostle Paul here elaborated to clarify what he meant about salvation. Listen to the words, and that not of yourselves. The Greek scholars tell us the following. The word that, tauto, is in the neuter singular pronoun. Lenski, A.T. Robertson's, Wies, just to mention a few of them. Excellent Greek scholars. Therefore, it does not refer to the word grace or faith. Both words there, grace and faith, are feminine. The neuter singular pronoun refers to the divine act of saving 
the sinner. It's like in Spanish, the article has to match the noun. Now, we say, where are you living? Oh, I live in La Puente. La is feminine. Puente is neuter, usually considered masculine. You say, el puente, not la puente. <laughs> it's a contradiction. So the grammar is very important. Notice the salvation is not, nor can it be credited to man, not to yourselves. The word ek means out from the person being saved. It's not from them. The act of salvation is not of human origin, in other words. The origin is from God. Sinners prior to hearing the grace and the gospel are dead in trespasses and sins. We've already made that clear in verse 1. Following the world, Satan, disobedient children of wrath in verse 2. But once the gospel of God is preached, he initiates, illuminates, and brings conviction. It's to bring about faith to enable them to respond, which has nothing, nothing to do with works, but only responsibility and accountability to God for having the privilege of hearing the gospel. Wow. Amazing. The act and product of salvation is holy and only in and by God. By grace, through faith. Now, the clarity of salvation being of God does not mean that man is passive toward salvation, nor is it a contradiction of salvation being of God alone. We have touched on predestination and free will already. Both are biblical. Both are not contrary to each other. We have seen that predestination and free will are complements. God is sovereign regarding predestination, and man is responsible regarding choice to be saved. We do not believe the doctrine of predestination according to Calvinism that God predestined a few to be saved while predestinating the remainder of humanity damnation. It's never found in the Bible, though they proclaim it and teach it. We do not believe the doctrine of irresistible grace of Calvinism. We believe grace can be resisted and rejected by individuals to be saved. The Bible verifies that constantly. It is evident every time the gospel is preached. The majority of people reject the gospel. Lord, are there many to be saved? The apostles asked of few agonized to enter in. Wow. If God forced people to be saved while forcing others to perish, then how can God be just and holy when both groups deserve hell? So if I choose you guys on the left to go to heaven, and you guys on the right, you guys go to hell. But you both deserve hell. How can I be good, just, and holy? How can I be the God of love? But if I die for all of you and make the way to salvation, and I proclaim that good news to you, and give you the ability to understand it, but not make the choice for you, and you choose to go to hell, then you're the one that's placed yourself there. Then now God is good, holy, and just. Absolutely. How can God judge righteously those he damned then to, by predestination, if such would be the case? never having given them a chance to be saved. Can God be good, just? No, he can't. That's why I always tell people, say, well, how about the guys out there in the book? Listen to me. Every person that's ever going to be born or has been born will have at least one opportunity. I know many more, but at least one. 
You know why? Because he sent the son to die for the whole world. And if God doesn't give every person opportunity, he can't be good. He can't be just. He can't be holy. He can't be fair. You don't need a PhD. You just need to use a little hamster between your ears. That's all. Simple. See, this is a contradiction and violation of the attributes of God to preach predestination and election that way. It's really slamming God. It's slandering God. It's not the God of the Bible. Wow. Now notice the Apostle Paul specified what salvation is to man. He says, it is the gift of God. Wow. Who, who doesn't like to get gifts? <laughs> oh, for me, you shouldn't have. Look, see what that thing is. <laughs> Love gifts. God is the um, possessor of the gift of salvation. He created man in the image and likeness of himself, a spirit being in Genesis 1.26, as you know. And he promised Adam the plan of salvation by a Messiah in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. The woman has no seed in herself. She has the egg. The man provides the seed. And the seed of the serpent would attack, but Jesus would only have his heel bruise, a temporary wound, where he would crush the authority of Satan's head. And he did that at the cross, prophetically. And so God is the giver of the gift of salvation. He is the initiator of salvation. Man is the responder to salvation. The word gift, doran, simply means a present. And it's emphatic in the Greek here. Man is the potential recipient of the gift of salvation if he meets the conditions. How often have you heard, oh, salvation, there's no condition. It's, uh, no, there is a condition. It's by grace unmerited, through faith, the object of the word of God. But there is a condition. You must recognize your sinfulness. You must recognize that you need to repent. And you must ask forgiveness of your sin to be born again. That's a huge condition. People don't get saved just by walking into a church. Any more than you walk into your garage and you're a car. It just doesn't happen. Faith is the gospel. And faith in that gospel is one of the conditions. Hearing. Conviction of their lost condition. In need of that Savior, Jesus Christ. Repentance from sins. Asking forgiveness. Condition. If God has predestined some to be saved already, and nothing can alter it, then the conditions of faith and repentance are unnecessary and a mockery to the preaching of the gospel and the horn hearing. Think about it. If God is predestined and nothing can alter that, and he already knows who's going to be saved, why preach? Hey, let's go watch football. Why go on missions? It violates everything in the scriptures, that doctrine. Completely. For a gift to be valid, there must be two things present. First, the person giving the gift, God was not compelled or forced to save sinners. God, motivated by his love, made provisions of salvation by his grace. Many times people say, well, you know, God saved us through his love. No, 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 no. God couldn't save us through his love. It's the motivation by which, but he saved us by killing his own son in my place. He didn't save by his love. You're a father and mother. You love your child. You see your child getting into this drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, and you love them. But there's nothing you can, your love can't turn them. Until they come to recognition of how bad they are and ask help or forgiveness to be restored again. Then you make the means by which to restore them. But your love could not do it. It was the motivation. The same with God. 
And so the person accepting the gift is the second important thing. The sinner is not compelled or forced by God to accept the gift of salvation. The sinner responds to the love of God for him in the offer of salvation. The gift is meaningful only when given and received by one's own free will. The sinner is thankful to God. The sinner now loves God. He's not an enemy of God. And the sinner is a child of God. All of this due to the gospel. And so life is radically transformed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The motivation was his love. The manner by which was he gave his only son to be the sin bearer. Of his own will, he begot us, James 1.18 said. As we heard the gospel and we responded. You know, um, having the right key to a door is important to get in the house. You may believe you have the right key, but that doesn't make it the right key. It's when you stick that key in and turn the lock and you can enter in that you know you have the right key. Well, God is saying the right key to get to heaven is Jesus Christ. No one else. You can say you have the right key, but you're sadly going to be very disappointed and more than disappointed on Judgment Day. In fact, right after you give your last breath, you won't have to wait for Judgment Day. Everybody in hell right now knows they sent themselves there because they rejected the gospel. They're not blaming God. And no one's boasting about going to hell. In hell. None. So the same with salvation, only Jesus can save us. The educators of centuries past and the present have concluded that their intellectual accomplishments and contributions to society make them more worthy or valuable than others. They exalt themselves. Yet some of them have messed up marriages. Married two, three, four, five, six, eight times. Their supposed intellectual superiority has not been able to keep them from lying, stealing, deceiving people, and you can keep the list going. Their certainty about the origin of man through evolution compels them to deny God, even to mock God. That's what our intellect does apart from the gospel. L listen to 1 Corinthians one twenty. Paul says, where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? It's a rhetorical question. One, one correct answer. Yes. Not one person that is in hell, as I said earlier, now nor those who will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, or the white throne judgment, will say, you know, I could have saved myself. Not one of them. They know now in hell that they deserve hell. Nobody's pleading as innocent. Not one. They will also know at the white throne judgment that the appointed judgment and degrees of punishment will be deserved. There will be no argument. They will know they should have repented and received the gift of salvation. They will also know for all eternity that they did not receive, in fact, rejected it. 
Now, you remember doing something that you really regretted, something really stupid? And you remember once in a while? Think for all eternity. You say, well, I can't believe in a God like that. Listen, Luke 16, the rich man Lazarus, they both died. And the beggar and Lazarus on two different sides. And he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back to my brother. I have five of them. He remembered. Wow. You don't just cease to exist, ladies and gentlemen. There's no annihilation of your person. Everybody has eternal life. While you're living, you get to choose where you want to spend it. That's all you do. Wow. Not one person will ever charge God. Listen to uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, way back during the law. He says, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you. I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. It's a choice. Back in the Old Testament, it's a choice now. In fact, Ezekiel says, turn, turn, turn. Why would you want to die? I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Wow. He's pleading with his people, by the way, in Deuteronomy and Ezekiel. Joshua 24, 14 through 15 says, Now therefore, fear the Lord Yahweh, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. He's talking to the, to the believers, the Israelis, okay, before they go to the promised land. He says, Serve the Lord Yahweh, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord Yahweh, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in which the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord Yahweh. A clear choice. And those who don't choose, even though they're among the people of God, judgment comes. It's just simple. So the explanation regarding salvation is the gift of God. It's a gift. Have you ever given somebody a gift and you were so excited? Because you just, you, you wanted to just please them. And they open up the, and they throw it aside and they go to the movement one. Are you kidding me? Just think how God feels. I want to keep you from going to hell, man. I'll do all I can to shed light on it. But I won't force you. Wow. Notice thirdly, the exclusion regarding salvation. Verse 9. The Apostle Paul declared, works have nothing to do with salvation. Listen, not of works. Straight to the point. Paul is not talking specifically about the works under the Mosaic law here. Even though to the Jew, they would connotate that. The Jews were to keep the commandments, the precepts, the statutes, the judgments, but none of those could save them. The Jews were to keep the feasts, particularly the three feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, present themselves three times a year before God, but that did not save them. Paul is speaking in general to Jews and Gentiles about anything a person would consider doing to be sufficient to obtain salvation by what they were doing. That's what he's talking about. Some of these Gentiles came out of the religious ascetic practices carried over from their pagan theology and works. I mean, some of those guys denied themselves tremendously, religiously. Dedicating themselves to a life of poverty for life. 
diligently doing good works for those less fortunate. Delivering the oppressed and slaves from tyranny. That didn't save them. That can't save them. Remember one thing, that we have the potential for good because we're creating the image and likeness of God. But our bent is towards evil. So when you weigh them out, evil wins all the time. It's just that simple. So we don't deny that there's goodness in man, but that goodness can't save him because his bent majority of the time is evil. Whether in thought, deed, or motive, or deed itself. They could have, um, as Gentiles, also they came out from very idolatrous, sensual, and corrupt religions. Many of the religions were um, with sexual rights. They could have um, considered their sexual abstinence now as deserving salvation. But if that's the case, then it would exclude grace and faith. Contradiction. They could have considered by not partaking of the debauched drunken feasts and deserving salvation. But once again, faith and works are exclusive and opposite to that. Can't be. They could have considered by not partaking in the offering of pagan gods as a work to earn salvation, a contradiction to the gifts of salvation. So he's explaining it in the backdrop of that culture what was going on. And he just puts it in general. He doesn't itemize all this stuff as I'm giving it to you. But he says not of works. That means every work. Now notice the Apostle Paul here in 9 declared also boasting has nothing to do with salvation. Lest anyone should boast. Paul focused here on the reason God designed salvation to be all his doing. The word less introduces the purpose. It's the word hina. For this reason, when the word hina is found, it is called a purpose clause. It declares exactly the intent. The word anyone covers any and all persons. In any generation, in any nation, in any culture, the gospel transcends people, place, and culture. The problem in America, we have culturalized the gospel. We have removed the resurrected power from it. The purpose is stated, should boast in the negative, not boast. Not glory, literally what it means. Simply, to take credit. To point to something for the salvation God has given to them. To their credit, to their glory. The error's middle voice here means literally, in order that no one shall ever get to boast. Nobody's boasting about being in hell right now. And the people that have died and are before Jesus, no one's boasting. Study chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. Everybody's on their face. No one's boasting. No one's going. Everybody's on their face, casting their crowns to the feet of Jesus. Because he has done it all. This includes Jew and Gentile. Bond and Scythian. The Scythians were the northerly tribes by Russia. And they would take their captives, decapitate them, boil their heads, skin them, use them for drinking goblets. I don't think you've been there. They can be saved if they repent. 
That's crazy to a Jew when he heard that. Are you kidding me? Wow. Male or female? No distinction. Different roles? Men and women are not equal. They're different. Thank God. Makes the world go around. Before God, they're equal. They're both sinners. The man's the head. The woman's the completion of the man. You got to have a man, have a woman, to have a baby. Okay? You don't need a degree on that. Okay? Every aspect of nature determines that. Yeah, there's some anomalies that the way God's done it, but that's what it is. All right? Slave or free. That's a crazy message for the days of Paul. Rome. The slave had no rights. It was just a commodity. Notice the plain reason. Since we are saved by grace. Since we are saved through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Since both grace and faith are the divine process for the product of salvation. Since salvation is the gift of God. Not even Abraham could boast in works before God. Romans 4, 1 through 4. Remember, he wasn't born a Jew. He was a Babylonian. God called him out of the nation of Israel to hand down the revelation of God progressively to the coming of the Messiah, that all the earth would be blessed through him and the nation. Wow. Remember, Simon the Pharisee looked down on Jesus and the harlot that washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So Jesus gave him a little parable of the two debtors. And of course, one owned millions, the other one's none, and he forgave them both. And he says, Simon, which um, do you think will love the most? He says, simple, the one who forgave the most. He says, you see this woman? She has sinned much, so she's been forgiven much. Wow. Now, we usually think that that's horrible, but that's speaking about us. If it isn't for the grace of God, and we constantly remind ourselves that we didn't deserve salvation, then we will exalt ourselves against one another or anybody else. Oh, yeah, they're Christians, great, but, you know, they, you know, they come back from a little of a kind of weird little bit. And... Why, why, why are you looking back in the trash? It's in nature. You have to put that down, bring your thoughts captive. We all deserve hell, but we get to go to heaven if we trust Jesus. Wow, what an incredible message. Salvation available to all sinners as a gift, yet not all will receive it. The way all sinners respond to the gospel about Jesus crucified to him is forever unchanging. It has never changed. The Bible has never altered. Never amended. Never recalled. There were two thieves on the cross, as you know. They heard Jesus. Both of them were cursing Jesus. Halfway through, one repented. Told the other guy, hey, listen, you and I deserve this stuff. This guy has done nothing amiss. Jesus, remember when you come to your kingdom. Today, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 43. Both equally distant. Both heard the same thing. One chose to go to heaven. The other one will go to hell. It's that simple. You don't need a PhD. Salvation will always be distorted by those who mix works with grace for salvation. It is a misrepresentation of Christianity. It's a contradiction to the gospel. It is an offense to the grace of God. And sometimes they point Paul and James as contradicting each other. For salvation. No, it doesn't. Because when Paul is speaking in Romans about salvation, he's talking about salvation before being saved by faith, no works. James is talking after you're saved, now that you say you have faith, let me see your works. Two different perspectives. Compliments. 
not contradictions. Jane, John 19.30 says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He has power to lay down his life and take it up again. Anybody care to stand up so I can do the same? Only he. Nobody else. Salvation is God's gift. And he gives glory to Jesus and him alone. Listen to Jeremiah 9.24. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, God, that I am the Lord Yahweh, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord Yahweh. Jeremiah 13.23. Can Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard is spots? It's a rhetorical question. Only one correct answer. No. Then may you also do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Accustomed to do evil. I am what I am by the grace of God, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Many people take that out of context. Say, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, don't, don't fault me. This is the way God made me, you know. I just... I just like girls, and you know, I like a little drinking once in a while, and this is the way you made me. No, no, no. I completely out of context. What you see in me that's God-like, it's all by his grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. Listen to Paul again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And in the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord Yahweh. 1 Corinthians 1.26-31. That's it. Nobody can glory, ladies and gentlemen. What do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why are you boasting, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.7 can't boast. All you have to do is look to that fifth chapter of Revelation as we're before the throne of grace, the rapture of the church. Listen, Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God for your blood um, by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. They're all on their faces before the throne of God, worshiping him. Study the manual. So when you're raptured up, you're not up there standing up. And embarrass yourself. Wow. The exclusion regarding salvation is the glory that belongs only to God. Only to him. And so the apostle Paul has declared the reason God will display his church in the ages to come. That he alone saves sinners. Characterized by these three things. The proclamation regarding salvation is by the grace of God. The explanation regarding salvation is the gift of God. And the exclusion regarding salvation is that the glory alone belongs to God. Wow. What an incredible way to make salvation possible. No one can ever say anything on their account. All they can say is, Lord, you are good. You're just gracious. Thank you for forgiving me all my sins. Thank you for giving me a new divine nature. Thank you for giving me hope and trust in you. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for brothers and sisters. Thank you for your abundant life. Wow. When you understand salvation that way, that's all you can do. There's nothing else you can do. 
Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, you deal with our hearts. And Father, those that perhaps do not know you that are here or over the internet, that they would open their hearts to you. They would call on your name to be saved, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. You've heard the gospel. Now you must make a decision. He doesn't force you. But no decision is a decision in itself. You choose not to choose. And that's a choice in itself. But if you want to repent, you want to accept Christ Jesus as your Savior, believing what you've heard, the gospel. This is a simple prayer of repentance as you ask him to forgive you and come into your life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.